All right, good morning. How many of you think this is first service? <laughs> Not too many, I hope. <clears throat> no, we, uh, we have this time change every, every year, and, and uh, I am not sure I, I like it real well. Because you get used to something, and then every six months you've got to adjust it and change it and so on. So. But it's good to see you. We're beginning to fill back up the building a little bit at a time. So continue to pray that progress is made. And uh, we look forward to Easter coming. <clears throat> and we're going to have a lot of folks there in three different services, looks like, hopefully. And uh, hopefully, we're talking about two, I think, is what they're talking about. But I hope we need three. And uh, we'd love to have you here. If you're joining us for the first time in a while, we're in a series of messages, just, a, just four of them, and this is our second week to talk about questions, questions that uh, Jesus asked. All four of them were about Him, and they're all very profound questions. And, uh, but before we get into that, I have some questions for you that are not so profound. Since we've been doing a lot of questions, I made a compiling of some things. So here's the first question. Are you ready? Put on your thinking hats. Jerry? Okay. All right. If a plane crashes on the border between the U.S. and Canada, where will the survivors be buried? There you go. You don't bury survivors. Now, see, that was the easy one. Yeah, of course. That's that second service people are not allowed, to, or first service people can't, can't participate. All right. Okay, imagine you're driving a bus. Here's question number two. In the bus stop, there's a, you stop at stop number, let's call it T, and four people get on the bus, all right? And then you drive to the next stop, which is stop O, and two people get off. Finally, you reach the bus stop M, where everybody gets off. So what is the name of the bus driver? It would be, yeah, yeah, y'all getting on. You're kidding. In fact, this is much better than the first service. Yeah. Uh, unless some of you are hanging on from first service just so you can, you know, show up everybody. But anyway, yeah. All right, number three. Imagine an abandoned aquarium within an abandoned house. And in the aquarium, I hope there's no fish lovers here. In the aquarium were three big fish and three small fish. But after four days, one big fish and two small fish died. How many remain in the aquarium? Oh, all of them. Since the house is abandoned, nobody will be there to remove the dead fish from the aquarium. Now, see, isn't that profound? <laughs> all right, here you go. Number four, you've always wondered. Imagine you've been kidnapped. Your only way of escaping is through one of three doors that are in front of you. Okay, room one consists of a fiery inferno. That's behind the first door. Room two has 30 assassins with loaded guns. And the third door, has behind it are 30 hungry lions who've not eaten for three months, which is the safest room to go through to get out. You know, with masks on, I can't hear you. Most of you, I can't hear even without the mask. But the lion's door, because you know what? What happens? After three months, they're all dead. They haven't eaten. All right, I'm not sure you guys are on this very well. All right, here's, here's one, the last one. Question number five. Which is heavier, a ton of pure gold or a ton of feathers? Who is doing that? 
These lights are too bright. Um, actually, both weigh one ton. All right, we won't do that again for a while, I don't think. <clears throat> That's what happens when you get that extra hour of sleep. So some of you, but it is. Yeah. That's all right. Well, anyway, we don't have trick questions in our series, though. This, this is important, life-changing stuff, and it's the kind of questions that can redirect us. It's the kind of questions that can alter the trajectory of your life. That's one of the ways we've, we've, we've promoted this. In all four of these questions we're looking at, as I said a moment ago, come from Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about Jesus asking an individual who had been handicapped uh, since birth pretty much, 38 years. He asked this guy, he said, do you want to get well? Which is an important question, not just in that context, but in every context of life. And uh, we dealt with that last week. It's a very powerful, powerful question. But today we come to the second life-changing question from Jesus. And it's in Matthew chapter 14. And we'll look at verses 13 through 31, pieces of that section of Scripture. So here we go. Scene number one of our drama. It was a remarkable day. And the day began with Jesus hearing that his relative, John the Baptist, had been executed by the uh, evil, wicked King Herod. Matthew 14, 13 says that when Jesus heard what had happened... He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. But hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Now, let me explain where he is. He's in the northern part of Israel, and there's a huge lake called the Sea of Galilee. It's really not a sea. It's just a, a huge lake, very, very deep. And though it's about seven, thir- between 7 and 13 miles across, depending on how much water has, has come into the country. This is in the Middle East. And so this particular lake, beautiful place, but there were many towns around the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this was a place that Jesus really frequented quite regularly. He loved this area. And the whole, uh, many of the dramas we read about in Scripture took place in this part of the, of, the, of the nation of Israel. So on this particular day, hearing the crowds that followed him on foot from towns, and when he landed and saw the crowd, he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Thousands of people had gathered. Huge crowd here. And the Bible says that Jesus was, was concerned about them. He took pity on them. He began to teach them. And they listened. They listened hour after hour. They traveled miles, great distances to be here. There's this huge crowd. But as the sun started to set, there was a problem. Some of the disciples that were close to Jesus came to him and said, you know, we've got to wrap this up, you know, because you know, these people need, need to go home because there's no, nothing to feed them with here. And, uh, we, you know, we need to kind of close it. You know, isn't it interesting how we're always telling Jesus what we really ought to do? And that's pretty much what they were saying. And Jesus said, well, just bring me the food that you have and I'll pray over it. Now, they didn't say this. It's not in the Bible. But I would imagine if I was one of these disciples, especially Peter, you know, he's kind of, you know, really, really uh, how shall we say, he uh, is quick, you know, to figure things out. You can almost hear him thinking, oh, wow, it's going to take some prayer if you're going to take this five loaves of bread and two fish that they had. But they brought it to him, and Jesus prayed, and they started to give out the food. And every time they reached back into the basket, an amazing thing happened there was more bread in the basket. And they just kept going on and on. And after they had eaten, verse 22, 
tells us that they he sent then sent everybody home. Huge crowd had been satisfied. And he told his disciples that you guys get in the boat and head across the lake, and I will catch up with you later. Now they assumed he'd walk around on the coastal line. He was going to hang back though, because what had kind of started this whole day was learning about his relative John the Baptist that had been killed and executed. And Jesus was, I think there was some prayer time needed here, and he kind of refueled. Uh, several times in Scripture, we have the Bible tell us that energy and had been expended in Jesus uh, from the, the healings and other things that he would do. And so they left, and this, the, the, that, that was kind of the first part of this remarkable day. But then here came the second part, and a moment unlike anything they'd ever experienced before. And with it will come a life-changing question. This is scene two, and that's the arrival of the storm. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, or the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, in order to appreciate how life-changing the question is that he's going to ask in a moment, we need to talk about storms. Storms are a great reality. In fact, the reality check, I would say, for, for any of us, maybe you're in one right now. A storm can exist between in relationships, maybe between a parent and a child, or a storm could exist between a husband and a wife. In fact, a storm can kind of put any relationship you have to the test, even our relationship with God. Maybe you're kind of in a storm with Him at the moment. But normally when times are sunny and the weather's nice and Walking with God's kind of a breeze, and it's easy. Then the sky, though, can turn so dark, and the wind can pick up, and the waves can build, and suddenly you're not so sure anymore. Your faith takes a whack, and you're not sure God can be trusted in the middle of their storm that you're going through. You may not even think they might be very good during these times. Storms cause us to doubt. And I think the reason is because we think that God... Well, to be trustworthy in a sense, there shouldn't even be a storm to begin with. Have you ever thought about it? It's almost a part of our culture. We really don't want to be uncomfortable. The idea that many people have that the whole purpose of God in your life is so that you have a good life, that you'll just be blessed. And the purpose of God is to just give you more and more and more and uh, of the things that you want. The sailing you need to do needs to be on smooth waters. The water should always be calm because that's where God fits into your life, many people think. They think he owes us a storm-free existence. But that's not true. Not really. Not from the Scriptures. You won't find anything about a storm-free life in the Bible. It's just not there. If anything, the Bible says you need to be ready. In fact, prepared at any moment. For a storm. See, the real issue is whether God can be trusted during your storm. And more importantly, whether you can trust Him in the midst of the storm. Let's see what happened next. This is scene three. Now, this is waiting and seeing. There's some several things going on here. But by this time, the fourth watch of the night has come. It's about three o'clock in the morning now. They've been trying to get across the Sea of Galilee in this storm. And then you know, Jesus was going to meet them, and suddenly, though, he appears to them during the fourth watch of the night, which is really early. He's walking on the lake, 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's got to be a ghost, you know. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Now, you probably heard, if you know much about the Bible at all, you probably heard about Jesus walking on the water and all that. You may not have connected it to the feeding of the 5,000, but it was all happened in the same time period. Which means it's interesting that the whole purpose of, you know, Jesus was teaching all the time. And the purpose of this particular day was just to talk about trust. Were they going to trust him, especially the disciples? Were they going to trust him that he could feed all the multitudes with just a boy's lunch? You know, were they going to trust that he could take care of them in the midst of the storm? If you notice when Jesus showed up, in fact, let me read verse 23 again. Night had fallen and the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. And then again, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them. Now with the time changes we have in Indiana, it might be hard to figure this out all the time, but most of the time in the winter, it seems like it gets dark earlier, you know, five, six o'clock seems like to me. Sometimes it seems like it's been dark all afternoon. Or, you know, in the summertime, it seems like it doesn't get dark till, what, 8, 9, 10 o'clock. But either way, if the storm came when the night had fallen, it would feel pretty late to you if you were in that boat. Can you imagine yourself being in that small fishing vessel? Have you ever felt in the midst of things in your life that you're kind of feeling the storm and the pressure? Have you ever felt like they did that God was a little bit late to show up? They were wondering, Jesus, they wondered, maybe he knew something they didn't know, and he decided to stay back. But no, that's not what happened. Sometimes we wonder if God really is who he says he is. Sometimes you wonder what his character is like, and if he really, really cares for you. You wonder if he's powerful enough to intervene in your particular situation or need. And you wonder if you can really trust him. But the bottom line is, is God wants to, you to not only trust him with the storm, but to trust the timing and trust the timing through the storm. An author I read occasionally is uh, Henry Nowen, and uh, he once wrote about a group of trapeze artists. They were friends of his, and they told him how that you had to be kind of a really special, have a special relationship between the, the flyer and the catcher. Now, you know which one that is now. Now, there's, you can see it here. There's, there's one that's flying, and you can see there's no visible means of support at that very moment. And then there's the catcher. And he goes on and talks about how important this is because as the flyer swings high above the crowd, he wrote, the moment comes when he lets go of the trapeze and he arcs out into the air. And for that moment, which can feel like forever if it's you, the flyer is suspended in nothingness. He's caught in nothingness. He can't go back to the trapeze. And it's too soon for the catcher to reach him. And he can't propel himself forward into the arms of the catcher any more than he has once he's let go. Now, then listen to what he says. He said, the flyer must wait in absolute trust in that moment. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. His job is not to flail about in anxiety. In fact, if he does, it could kill him. His job is to be still, to wait, and sometimes the waiting is the hardest 
of all. I mean, boy, I would imagine. I mean, you don't want to be hanging in midair with nothing to support you, and the guy said, not quite there yet, you know. But it can be this way for us as well. In the middle of your storm, God can seem to be sometimes distant. Trust is everything, and this is crucial. You see, if the nature of our relationship with God is built on trust, then that trust has to be built. It's a building process. Trust is really like a muscle. And you never have to trust, or you never have to work to trust, or you never go through situations where you, you, you feel that this trust issue is important. It, then your muscle never grows. It never develops, never gains strength. And if you're trusting God, is only when everything's going wonderful and great, and the stars line up, and your basketball teams always win, and all this sort of thing, which is a rare thing in, in my state of Kentucky. But anyway, this is not in a sermon, but Indiana's probably depressing some of you too. But anyway, but if your trust is only in God when things are well, then it's never really been tested. Looking at verse 14, about three o'clock in the morning, here comes Jesus walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking in the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out. Listen to this. It's a ghost. It's got to be a ghost. Isn't it interesting? Did you catch it? They didn't even recognize him. They didn't have any idea that it was Jesus. And here's why. He was, it was not that he was disguised. I mean, it was because they just didn't think he could actually be doing what he was actually doing. It just completely blew their minds. They could not believe he was walking on the water in the middle of the storm. And because of that, when he comes, they thought he was anything but who he said he was. Anything but who he was. They missed him. They missed his presence in a sense. They missed his power. They missed his hand reaching out to theirs. But let's keep reading. Scene 4. Matthew 14, verse 28. Peter speaks up. Now you remember Peter, Mr. Impetuous. He says, Lord, if it's you, not near that, hear the doubt. If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. So Peter went over the side of the boat and was able to walk and defy the laws of physics on the water toward Jesus. But look what happened. When he saw the strength of the wind and the waves, what the hell happened to him? He got distracted here. He was terrified. He began to speak, to sink rather, and he cried out, save me, Lord. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him and said, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? And they climbed back into the boat, and the wind stopped. And then the disciples worshipped him, saying, You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Now there's our question for today. Why? Why do we doubt him? Jesus said, Why couldn't you trust me? So let's ponder that a moment. And we'll begin with another question. And there's three of these, and we're going to wrap up. Here's the first one you need to ask yourself today. What's your boat? What is it that, because everybody's got one, what are you clinging to? What is the thing that you kind of love and you're refusing to leave it because you think it's safer where you're at than go with Jesus who's standing out there on the top of a wave someplace? Or is 
Author John Ortberg titled in one of his books, I love the title, he said, if you ever want to walk on the water, what do you got to do? You got to get out of the boat. You can't do it otherwise. I mean, what is it that you think is better than the water, safer than the storm? I mean, even with Jesus standing right there in your life, waiting for you and calling for you to come to him, what still gives you more safety and you're more comfortable and you're more secure and feel more protected that's apart from God and all this religion and all these relationship things? Whatever that is, that's, that's your boat. Everybody has a boat, a place where you feel comfortable. And because of our unwillingness to leave it, Jesus will never, ever help us experience the depth of trust you need to live the life he's called you to live. That makes sense. I mean, if we're going to stay where we are in whatever level of comfort that we have, it's going to be very hard for our faith to be stretched and our trust to be deepened because we're never going to want to take that chance. Here's something else to think about. The water in this parable is really kind of not really a parable, but the water in this account, that's where Jesus is. He didn't come just marching up and slip in the boat behind him and surprise them. He's still out there on the water, on the waves, out in the middle of things, out where you'd have to trust him to get to him. Did you notice he didn't even come particularly close to the boat? Now, let me suggest something really important here. Regardless of the situation, if you're a faithful follower of Christ, or even if you're just getting started, the time will come when Jesus will be out there saying to you, you know, I want you to trust me. I want you to live the life I've called you to live. I want you to do things I've asked you to do. You know, he is the author of life. He knows best how to live life. Do the things I've asked you to do. Trust me. Walk out to me. Leave the boat behind. And at that very moment, and everything's on the line. It's a step of faith, big time. Trust me, live the life I've called you to live. But you've got to deal with the waves, and you see the waves, and then you've got to worry about the storm and all this, and it's hard to do. Trusting Him is a critical component of your faith. Now hang with me here. This is really important. It's not just about getting out of your nice, secure boat. It's not just about that. It's about entering the chaos of the storm. It's about trusting God with whatever happens, because that's where he is, in the storm. He's seeing you through it. He's going to see you to the end of it, no matter what that end may be. And the only way you can successfully walk above the storms of life is to do what they did. That's what he told them to do. And that is you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember Peter? He's out on the water doing physically what he should not be able to do. He took those first few steps. His eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, what does that mean? That means it wasn't just vision. It was his entire orientation was to Jesus as he does what is impossible to do. His trust was focused. He made it all about Jesus, not the storm. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to live over and over above the circumstances of his life at that moment. But what happened? The Bible says he took his eyes off Jesus. And he put them back on the storm 
and down he went. And Jesus wasn't everything to him in that moment. The storm was. And this is the heart of this life-changing question. Why did you doubt me? Don't you remember what happened earlier today? Peter, don't you remember how we fed all those multitudes with a few loaves of bread and fish? And even in the days before that, Peter, you've seen me heal the sick. You said, you've seen me raise the dead. You know who I am, Peter. I just, I'm just walking out to you on the ways. Why couldn't you walk out and meet me here? Why did you give in to doubt instead of staying true to trust? And then, of course, you know the story. You can almost imagine, maybe with a sigh of discouragement, Jesus climbs into the boat. And when he did, instantly everything went away. The storm, everything, the waters were calm. And then it hit home, had to hit home to these followers of Jesus. God had joined them in the boat in the midst of the storm. It was God out on the water. And they could have walked out there without a care in the world if they had only trusted him. So what would you do right now if you had no doubts or fears? What challenge would you accept? What assignment would you carry out for the Lord if you had no doubt or fear about it? What is it God has clearly called you to do in your life when you're not doing it because you've given in to some kind of fear? Jesus would ask you, why do you doubt me? Why don't you trust? It's a life-changing question. And one, I might add, that no matter how you are, how old you are, it's never, you're never too old or too late to answer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for another reminder that this is not about us so much. It's about you. And I ask, Father, that you would help us recall vividly all those moments in our life that we look back and say, wow, I would never have gotten through that if God, if you hadn't helped us. And I know the stories are here in our building today. But Father, I also know there may be stories here that of things we've never attempted because we just weren't going to take a chance. Our faith just has not been exercised enough. So Lord, our prayer as we continue to go through these strange times here in our country and here in our town, all the unusual things we've had to change and modify to be able to meet together. I pray, Father, you'd help us remember that you're in the boat. You're right there with us. You've never left us. And help us remember, you're the one that makes it possible for us to accomplish all the things. You never ask us to do anything, but you've not given us the grace and the mercy and the power to do it. You will help us help ourselves. And Lord, we thank you. And we are so grateful for your, your mercy and preservation. The blessings on our church, the blessing on many of our families. Now, Lord, help us continue to move forward in the right direction. And be able to answer the questions one by one that Jesus poses to us. Do we want to get well? Why do we doubt him? And others as we're going to look at in this series. And we thank you for the grace that you give us to do impossible things. In Jesus' name. Amen.